those who seek for riches and success and human glory and pleasures and make any of this the end of their life are fools in the eyes of God. They run the risk of receiving this reproach from God someday. You fool, I told you, I warned you many times in many different ways. Those, on the other hand, who put God in the first place and do their best to follow the Lord and in doing so invest their time and energy in serving others, in making a difference around them, those are wise in the eyes of God. Are you a fool or you are wise? Are you growing wisdom at least? St. Paul says in the second reading, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. I think it's such an important sentence to listen, especially in this city. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. When you look back on your journey as a Christian, do you see a growth in detachment, trusting God, sense of mission and purpose, or you see a more mundane spirit? These are important questions because the disciples of Christ and we are disciples of Christ, we are called to grow, not to decay. And stagnation is not an option. It's a loss in itself. We're called to grow in our discipleship, so to say. I think it would be good to remember that this passage that we just heard from the gospel it's taken from the Sermon of the Mount. So in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, to the ones who took the time to let things behind and go up in the mountain and listen to the Lord, listen to him. And there he's teaching as a teacher, as a master, on how to live according to his standards. He's teaching his disciples how to be Christians, basically. So he's teaching us today. And how high are his expectations for us? How ambitious is his vision for us, for his disciples? It's in the gospel. He says, so be perfect, just as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect. Pretty ambitious, isn't it? So what does he mean when he says that? We are not God, but we are human creatures. We are fragile. We are sinners made of clay. So how could we even try to be perfect? What does it mean for us? Of course, Jesus does not mean perfect in the sense of faultless or sinless. He knows what we are made of. He came to earth to redeem us from that. He means perfect in the sense of being determined to love like him, being determined and to be to, to be determined that it's not a feeling it's more something of the will it's like a decision that we make prompted by the grace of God to be determined to shape our hearts after his heart and we can do that step by step little by little with the help of the Holy Spirit that's all he came to do to this earth he came to send his Holy Spirit so that we would be shaped after him. He came to model how to live, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to do that in us as we 
make a determination. If us Christians make this determination to love like Jesus, we will have a very powerful impact in the world and around us. I have so many examples of this that I have seen, people that love like Jesus and make such a difference around them. But, you know, we are in the Black History Month, so I will take one example to honor this month that is about to end. You might know that Desmond Tutu, he's a former Anglican Archbishop of South Africa. He's very well known for his work anti-apartheid and his work for human rights. And he received the Nobel Peace Prize for, for this, so he was kind of like a world leader uh, on this cause and very well known. And in an interview that, that he went through, he says, he told this story. I'm going to read it. It says that Desmond Tutu spoke of the day he and his mother were walking down the street. Tutu was nine years old. A tall white man dressed in a black suit came towards them. In the days of apartheid in South Africa, when a black person and a white person met while walking on a footpath, the black person was expected to step into the gutter to allow the white person to pass and nod their heads as a gesture of respect. But this day, before a young Tudu and his mother could step off the sidewalk, the white man stepped off the sidewalk and as they passed, he tipped his hat in a gesture of respect to her. The white man was Trevor Huddleston, an Anglican priest who was bitterly opposed to apartheid. It changed Tudu's life. When his mother told him that Trevor Huddleston had stepped off the sidewalk because he was a man of God, Tutu found his calling. And then he quotes, When she told me that he was an Anglican priest, I decided there and then that I wanted to be an Anglican priest too. And what is more, I wanted to be a man of God, said Tutu. So little would he know that that such a simple gesture would impact a nine-year-old black little guy in a powerful way, and then that little guy would grow into a world leader. So how can we measure the, the fruit of our own little or big gestures of love? Love is powerful to change people's life, even the smallest things. So let's try to be a little bit more concrete and pay attention to Jesus' word in this gospel. First, he says, offer not resistance to one who is evil. And he gives some examples on how to do that. For example, he says, turn your other cheek when you are struck. Or offer your cloak if they claim your tunic. Or walk two miles if they ask for one. In other words, be willing to lose. Don't compete on who wins, who has the last word, who is more clever, or who has the sharpest tongue. Be ready to lose. Let others be first, even if you run the risk of being taken as a fool. Remember the first reading, the second reading, I mean. 
Yeah, we might look like fools if we are ready to lose so often. But we would become wiser in the eyes of God. We might look like fools if we don't retaliate, if we don't take revenge, if we don't calculate so much. But then we will grow in the eyes of God. And what is the limit of that? We could think, should I always lose? Should we always lose? So let me offer or share with you some criteria that has been very useful in my, in my, for me in my case. Someone taught me this and it has, very, has been very useful. You can ask yourself, what is at stake here? What is at stake? And you will find that 90% of our arguments and fights are about things that we could easily lose, are not worth it. So if there is nothing at stake, I try to live like this. I don't, I'm not saying that I always do it, but I try. If there's nothing at stake, but just my own pride or selfishness or, or just me, I try to lose. I can give my cloak or walk that extra mile. It will help me to be more like Jesus. It will bring the kingdom around me in one way or the other. But if it is about others, if it is about the church, students that I serve, the people that I, that I live with, I will fight every inch. So sometimes we do have to confront. Jesus confronted a lot in, in the Gospels when something important was at stake. But when it was about himself, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So make sure that it's not about yourself, that you're not fighting for your own comfort. Be ready to lose most of the time. That will solve most of our conflicts, I think. And when you need to speak up or defend what is right, what is correct, you will know. You, have a, you will have that discernment. And the Holy Spirit will tell you, no, this fight, you have to fight it. So you don't fight the silly battles. You keep your energy for the ones who really matter for the kingdom. So be ready to lose. Then the Lord says, give to the one who asks of you. Just give. If someone asks, you give. I think this is so self-explanatory that it almost does not need any comment. Don't you think so? Someone asks, you give. Simple. Whatever you have. If there's money and you have money, time, time. At least a smile at least an eye contact. We face this situation so often, no? In, on the streets, people, beggars, people ask from us, and we, it's hard, we, we pretend that we don't see. But Jesus says, no, give. And then we make this excuse, well, but he will go and drink and, or have drugs or whatever. But Jesus didn't say give to the ones who are not drinking. He said, just give. So you, you have something to give to everyone around you, something you can give. At least the bare minimum is just make an eye contact and say, God bless you, I don't have anything to give you, but may you have a good day. We can all do that. In the third place, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This one is tough, isn't it? Love your enemies and pray for them. We know in the novel Le Miserables and Victor Hugo tell the story of Jean Valjean, this man that was put in prison. Maybe you saw the movie. He's put in prison for stealing bread of loaf, a loaf of bread. 
and spends many years there, grows bitter and resentful. Then he's freed. He doesn't have any work. He's miserable in, on the streets. He knocks the door of the bishop of the place, and the bishop welcomes him in his house. He offers Jean Valjean a meal. He dines with him. He offers a shower, a bathroom, a bedroom. You can spend the night if you want. So Jean Valjean was really surprised. He went from prison to this kind old man that was being very generous with him. But in the middle of the night, he couldn't help it, and he woke up and started you know, taking all the silverware and everything that he found valuable, putting it in a bag, and then he was planning to run away, but the bishop also woke up. So when Jean Valjean saw the bishop, he, you know, he knocked the bishop down and, and ran away. Next day, the police got this man. He, they saw this man with, you know, that looked very poor with a bag of silver things, and so they got him and they brought him back to the bishop, and they said to the bishop, Monsignor, we, we just seized this man. We are sure that he was a, a, a thief. So here he is. These are, he has your things. He's telling this lie that, that you gave these things to him. But of course we didn't believe him. And the bishop says, oh, no, no. Of course I gave everything to him. And Jean Valjean, you forgot these candlesticks. These are really precious. And I told you you could take them, but you left them behind. Why did you do that? Here have them. So the police are really surprised and they're really embarrassed. They leave this man alone and then the, both of them have this conversation. And the bishop says to, to him, don't forget that you have promised to become a better man. And he hadn't promised to do that. So, so Jean Valjean says, why, why are you doing this? He cannot really understand that type of love. And the bishop says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I have bought your soul. I ransom you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. And from that day on, the life of Jean Valjean changed completely. That is what Jesus did for us. I ransomed you from evil and darkness, and I freed you to live in the kingdom of my Father. You have the strength given by me to, to live like me and to love like me. It's possible. I freed you from hatred, from resentment. resentment. So love your enemies. And you know, we might think that we don't have any enemies. Some of you might not have much enemies. Some of you might have some enemies. You know, we, we grow older and we gain some enemies throughout life, no? People that don't like us so much. But even if you don't have real enemies, you have relationships, and all relationships go through rough moments, tensions, difficulties, things that hurt us in different ways. So we need to be ready to forgive and to let that go and to love. And again, this is not a feeling. It's not about feelings. It's about determination. It's about an act of the will, an act of the deepest freedom that we have to say, I forgive you, I love you, I pray for you, and I'm ready to lose, to let it go. So often hatred is a bond, a bondage that connects you to that person in, in, in a wicked way, and God wants to free you from that. So don't hate, 
don't grow bitter. Grow better by, by following the Lord. As you do that, sometimes we think that we, we are going to die in, in just, just by trying to do that, but we don't. That's a lie. That's the devil lying to us. Oh, if you do this, you're going to die. You, you look like a fool. Sure, who cares? But as you do that, then you begin to grow. And you are freed, released, to live with that freedom that we find in the gospel. Okay, to wrap it up. How can we love like this? How can we do this in our practical way? I will share with you a secret, and with this I finish. We cannot do that with our hearts. Our hearts are too small, too limited. We, we don't have that type of love in us. At, lo- at least not that consistent day in and day out type of love. But Jesus does. So what we can do is when we receive communion, we say to the Lord, Lord, I give you my heart. You give me yours. You do that exchange of hearts. He loves to do that. And that is what happens in communion precisely. We receive him and we give what we have to him. It's a very bad business for him. It's very good for us. So you, you say to him, Lord, take, take my heart with whatever is hurting you, whatever wounds or whatever you, you, want, you want to be taken away from you. And as you say that, if, you, if you're authentic, you will, you will have some suffering, some struggle. Because sometimes we cling to our resentment, don't we? So you say, you, you take it away. I won't claim this anymore, ever again. I won't go back to this point ever again. You, you take it away. That is the hard part, to say that. And then I'm open to receive your love. And as you do that, you will see how you are strengthened to be able to love and live like he taught in the Sermon of the Mount.